This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. If you're planning to travel internationally, not only do you need to be double vaccinated against COVID-19, you need to provide a negative PCR test taken no more than 72 hours before you arrive at your destination. These PCR tests are not cheap and range from about $100 to $200, depending on the pharmacy or clinic you visit for this service. Fight Back went to Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association, to find out why there is a discrepancy in pricing. And it was later in this conversation, Libby was told some exclusive news. But first, the evolution of the PCR tests. When we started this program in pharmacies back in September of 2020, the cost related to a PCR test for travel was actually included as part of the public program. And then as we approached December of the same year, the government made a decision to essentially delist that. And that shifted out the program for travel to a private-based model, which means that pharmacies need to Uh, procure the services of a private lab organization to be able to receive the test kits and, of course, to then have the test results from the specimen collection analyzed. Um, And each pharmacy will have negotiated a different deal and the costs are varied across the various um, private lab uh, organizations. So that's essentially the model. It's a private pay model for travel. The test kits themselves uh, vary in the, the cost, um, and so that's all negotiated between a, a pharmacy and the lab organization, which is why you would see a range, and there's different margin built into that, depending, again, on the negotiation between labs and, and pharmacies. I think the median is somewhere in about 150 uh, that we're seeing uh, across the, the province, um, and some will be slightly cheaper, some will be more. It's also important to check the destination to see if they actually require a PCR test or, in some cases, a rapid antigen test would be uh, sufficient. So, for example, traveling to the U.S., uh, as of recently, you could get a, for essential travel, of course, at that time, uh, an antigen test was enough. And there are cases where you can get that done at a pharmacy for $40. So um, the type of test will matter as well. What is the situation with all those Moderna doses in pharmacies that are set to expire? Well, it's disappointing that we found ourselves in a precarious position like that where we had to dispose of perfectly fine. You did dispose of it? Yeah, many uh, thousands of doses had to be discarded uh, because of the 30-day window. They only have that runway when they arrive at the pharmacy in a thawed state. So we saw a steep decline in demand for Moderna, which we attribute to a couple of things. One, Moderna's had some challenges around brand awareness from the beginning of the vaccine rollout, but also there's continued concerns and hesitancy around mixing. And along the theme of travel, countries and destinations that still do not 
recognized mixing of doses between mRNAs or AZ to an mRNA vaccine causes people uh, pause. And uh, we know the majority of people got Pfizer as a first dose because there were Moderna supply issues. So that leaves a very small cohort of people to get a Moderna as a, as a second dose. So that left us uh, in the position of having to dispose of. Um, we pushed really hard, and I'm disappointed that the government didn't move quickly on allowing for third shots for immunocompromised individuals, those in high-risk populations, which would have allowed us to avoid the wastage. But um, at this point, uh, we've already adjusted our ordering and uh, have ordered less Moderna now. So um, from that perspective, there won't be further wastage. Can you give me an idea of how much wastage there was? It seems like a crime. It, it certainly does. Um, and uh, it was, is our worst case scenario. In spite of all of our efforts to proactively reach out to patients to look at transferring doses into the healthcare system and even donate them to other countries, uh, we exhausted every option. But we think it's uh, certainly in the tens of thousands um, in Ontario, and it won't just be isolated to pharmacy. The same problem existed with primary care and public health units. We won't know the exact number until it's fully documented into the COVAX ON system and government provides a report. Overall, the percentage of wastage is small when compared to the total administered doses, but um, we found ourselves in that scenario this past uh, week. Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The news about our hostages in China is grim. Late Tuesday night, we learned Michael Spavor had been sentenced to 11 years in prison. The day before, a Chinese court upheld a death sentence for Canadian Robert Schellenberg. Since then, we've had strongly worded statements from both the Prime Minister and the Foreign Affairs Minister. But what's going on behind the scenes? Libby was joined on Wednesday by Chuck Kwan of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China and Charles Burton, senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute and expert on Canada-China relations. The sentence was consistent with the sorts of norms espionage by um, foreign nationals, you know, um, Kevin Garrett, who was previously falsely accused of espionage, got eight years. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think the, the the hopeful aspect of it is that this does set the stage for um, deportation uh, if the Chinese decide to do so. So they wouldn't normally deport until a sentence has been handed down. In the case of Kevin, um, he was also being unjustly held to pressure us over an extradition case involving a, a People's Liberation Army um, um, aerospace uh, spy who was wanted by the United States. When this gentleman, Mr. Subin, voluntarily rendered himself to the United States and went state's evidence. Um, there being no real reason to continue holding Kevin, the um, the Chinese government released him 36 hours after his sentence was handed down. So one might see a similar process with regard to um, Kovrigan's favor if we can uh, somehow or other resolve the Meng Wanzhou matter and she leaves Canada. Hmm. Chuck Kwan, do you agree? However, I, I would not as hopeful as Charles would. Um, I think we're now playing at a much bigger scale. Uh, Huawei is one of the uh, China's uh, new technology giant, and they're not going to um, let go of this e- as easily as uh, the other spy case. Um, 
I, I, I want to point out that I, I, I read the word revenge spoken by a Chinese, uh, somebody from the Chinese Communist Party at a very high level. And basically he said this is a revenge for Meng Wanzhou's case. So, you know, you can clearly see what is on uh, China's mind right now, is that this is a revenge, we're going to do a tit-for-tat, and unless you do something uh, that free, to free Meng Wanzhou, um, you don't, ex- don't expect to see the two Michaels again. And I would also caution the fact that Chinese always want to save face. So even if we release Meng Wanzhou today, it would take another six months before they'll get around to releasing the, either of Michael's. Do you think that at this stage of the game with a new administration, uh, that there would be consequences if we did that? I mean, it seems to me they might be trying to save face. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't. I think Biden is is um, playing the long game. Um, the fact that they are not budging. Budging, budging on on the Wenwang Zhou cases points to the fact that yeah you know um, they have their own self interest to think about and certainly their relationship with China and as Charles pointed out it, it is now uh, a superpower power battle for for hegemony and, and dominancies and and China looks like they're winning so U S has to be very very careful as well so they're not going to sacrifice their own own interest for the sake of uh, the two Michaels or, or any of the uh, minor, so-called, so-called minor China-Canada problems. Uh, Charles Burton, I'm going to give you 30 seconds for the last word. Well, I must say that I felt very um, reassured when Michael Saver sent a message to Canadians via the ambassador that, um, you know, he's grateful for our support that he remains in good spirits, and of course he hopes to return home soon. Obviously, he is a man with great uh, resilience under appalling um, pressures, and, uh, you know, I I think we all uh, owe him a great deal of admiration and respect for the way he's been conducting himself under these unbelievably unjust uh, charges. Charles Burton, Senior Fellow at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute and expert on Canada-China relations, and Chuck Kwan of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, we are officially in the fourth wave of COVID-19. So now what? You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are most definitely in a fourth wave. That declaration came this past week from Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario Science Advisory Table. So what does this mean? And how will the fourth wave of COVID-19 be different from the first, second, and third waves? In addition, the daily COVID numbers in Ontario are now being presented in a new way. What will this change help us understand? 
To offer their perspective on the numbers, Ryan Imgrund, an educator and biostatistician who's been providing daily COVID-19 data analysis for Ontario and Canada, and Dr. Alan Vaisman, infectious diseases, infection control physician at the University Health Network. But first, Dr. Peter Uni on the fourth wave. We need to take this seriously, but not panic. That's the point now. What we need to be aware of is this will be a pandemic now of the unvaccinated. And the challenges we have is, take my age, I'm 53. People my age, 25% of those in this province are not fully vaccinated yet. Guess what? We and people a bit older than I am, you know, in the 50s and in the 60s, we will contribute roughly 70 to 80 percent of all the ICU admissions that are forthcoming if we remain unvaccinated. If we're vaccinated, we will be good to go. You know, this becomes like a sniffle for us or, you know, just like a regular upper respiratory tract infection. So the challenge we have now is to get as many people of those, especially who are, you know, at risk of ending up in an ICU that's my age or a bit older, to really get vaccinated and take this seriously. There's absolutely no reason not to get vaccinated. The problem really is now everybody will eventually get infected within the next six to 12 months or nearly everybody, 80 to 90 percent. There's no way out. There is no third way of, oh, I just say a little bit secure. As long as you're not a hermit, you will get infected. So make sure you get vaccinated now. Right now, let's bring in Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious diseases and infection control physician at the University Health Network, and Ryan Imgrund, an, education, an educator and biostatistician who's been providing daily COVID-19 data analysis for Ontario and Canada. What do you think of the new way the province is reporting? Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I think that's really what we need to be focusing on is how many cases are from the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. I think one thing I would like to see addressed a little bit more is we should start to treat the partially vaccinated as unvaccinated, at least when it comes down to these statistics. I think it's a little bit misleading when we're showing the partially vaccinated statistics. Um, So one little change that I'd like to see is we have fully vaccinated and we have those that are not fully vaccinated. I think that's the encouragement that we need right now in order to get people vaccinated. But I absolutely love that they're finally reporting these numbers. I think it's great. Dr. Vaisman, what do you think? And, and my big question is, is the change in reporting, is it, is it still going to be easy for us to compare ourselves to people in other provinces and other countries? That they're reporting these data, understanding the, for the public where the cases are coming from is important. The one other thing I would add that would help us to understand our situation compared to other countries is also to look at the proportion of people who are vaccinated who got the illness as opposed to what proportion of people who have COVID have been vaccinated. The reason that's important is that if you look at the total number of people vaccinated in Ontario, something around you know 10 or 11 million, the number of people who actually picked up COVID is quite small. It's 0.2 or 0.3%. So that's, that number kind of frames it in people's minds that how effective this vaccine is, as opposed to thinking about the total COVID cases and what proportion are vaccinated. Anything you want to leave us with, Ryan Imgrund? Yeah, I think, you know, when it, when it comes to social situations, I think one, one thing that we should be looking at is if we follow the data here in Ontario, we know that the stage three opening has led to an uptick in cases. The uptick has been since stage three. So stage three has 
those higher risk activities. And I think, you know, we do need to see something around those higher risk activities. I think we've kind of stalled when it comes down to first doses, and we need that kind of an incentive to get people vaccinated. And I'd really like to see somewhat of a vaccine passport system around higher risk activities. We're like talking the next few weeks about, um, you know, like opening more indoor activities without like capacity limits. Those need to be associated, in my opinion, with a vaccine passport because they're just way too risky. And if we're seeing increases now and it's August with stage three opening, once we open up more, we're definitely not going to see numbers come down. Ryan Imgrund, educator and biostatistician who has been providing daily COVID-19 data analysis for Ontario and Canada. Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious diseases, infection control physician at the University Health Network. And Dr. Peter Uni, scientific director of Ontario's COVID-19 science advisory table. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Maybe this is a question you are grappling with as you start to socialize again. How do you bring up the importance of COVID vaccination with friends or family members who've yet to get a shot? Do you cut them off? Do you try to convince them to get vaccinated? Or do you just avoid the topic and the potential conflict? Libby asked these questions of a panel of experts on Thursday. Lifestyle and etiquette expert Carrie Macbeth, Dr. Steve Jordan, psychology professor, University of Toronto Scarborough, and once again, Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious diseases and infection control physician at the University Health Network. If you look at the people who are still haven't been vaccinated, there's probably a very small minority of these people who are actively spreading disinformation, but the vast majority of them are not like that. They're just simply people who aren't well-informed or need to take a look more at this information. So if, if we step back and we ask ourselves, what is the ultimate goal here? The ultimate goal is to get as many people safely vaccinated as possible, to be informed and to want to be vaccinated. It's, it's not to isolate people. It's not to ostracize them. And of course, vaccine mandates make sense in high-risk areas, but we're talking about social situations. It's, it's a totally different situation. You, you want to be sympathetic to people. You want to have reasonable conversations. So, you know, being careful and kind to people can go a long way in this in this case. Uh, wh- what I'm really encountering is that people who are vaccinated want uh, people who are not to be excluded. Yeah, I think there are going to be social situations where certainly the masking, the vaccination is going to go a long way to protect you. And of course, we want to ask people to do those things safely. So for most part, a lot of that, whether your friend is vaccinated or not, is not going to affect what you do. But then, of course, there are social situations where you're going to be close to one another, where you do feel that you may be at risk of transmitting the infection. So, you know, that's where I, I sympathize with people having concerns about their friends not being vaccinated. But just think about the context first before we make those judgments. Dr. Jordans, what is behind that? Again, uh, you know, more and more people are vaccinated. And, and again, uh, even in myself, uh, I'm recognizing that people, they they want to exclude or even punish people who aren't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very tricky situation because I'm, I'm a little differently minded than the doctor. I, I get everything he says, and, and I agree to some extent, but there's a factor here that makes things, well, there's really two factors that make things really difficult. One is that the unvaccinated are engaging in a behavior that's putting the rest of us at risk. So it's not a benign choice of theirs. It's It's more like they're you know, we're talking to people and saying, hey, do you drive 40 kilometers over the limit or, or not? 
And when someone says, yeah, I drive 40 kilometers over the limit, you know, it's not quite a perspective thing where we can just kind of say, oh, okay, okay, that's kind of cool, because it's not cool. Um, and, and that's one factor that's here is that they, they are potentially, you know, putting a lot of our children uh, at risk in, in schools if their children come from unvaccinated households. And they're, of course, bringing the risk of, of helping the new variant um, come aboard. And, and for those of us who, you know, have realized that the vaccine is the way out and maybe the only way out because it's certainly doesn't look like we're going to be able to do it with human behavior, then it is frustrating. It's, it's a little different, and it's harder to have that um, forgiving and friendly kind of approach that the, that the doctor is suggesting. Carrie Macbeth, uh, hello. And um, how should people ask the question? Well, I mean, normal social etiquette would dictate you never talk to somebody about health issues. That dates back so far. Obviously, we're in a little bit of a different situation now with the pandemic and people have uh, their, their concerns, um, specifically now that we are opening up to more social situations. Um, the key thing is, is figuring out why you're asking that question. Are you inviting people into a social environment? There's other ways of doing it than saying, are you vaccinated? You can state your vaccine preferences for social situations where that gives the person maybe who isn't vaccinated the option to not go as opposed to having to ask them. Because when you ask the question, are you vaccinated? You could get a really curt response of a no. And then what is the reason for you doing that? If you find out that they're not vaccinated, are you going to take six feet back? Are you going to throw on your mask? Um, basically, take care of yourself, be kind, and be calm with all of these things. You also don't know somebody's personal situation. They could have a health issue where they are unable to get vaccinated. Children under specific ages are unable to be vaccinated. So you really need to be mindful and figure out why you're asking that question. Lifestyle and etiquette expert Carrie Macbeth, Dr. Steve Jordan, psychology professor, University of Toronto Scarborough, and Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious diseases and infection control physician at the University Health Network. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. CETA called about the Canadians incarcerated in China, while Huawei executive Meng Wenzhou is being treated with respect and dignity in Canada. This is definitely a revenge um, for keeping Ming Wanzhou. Why are we holding on to her? We should exchange her for three Canadians. Why is she living in a hotel with comfort? Why, Why our guys... Our Canadians are being tortured like wartime. This was Trump fight. Biden don't have Canadian interests at heart. America is looking out for themselves. So what will we gain by holding on to her? Why don't um, our government need to do more action than words? Dennis in Brampton called to say he's had conversations with people about their vaccination status. I don't have any hesitation asking if uh, people have been vaccinated, if we're going to be in a social situation with them, particularly indoors. 
And while I don't wish to make anyone feel like a pariah, I do feel that people need to take responsibility for, uh, you know, the toll that the pandemic has taken on people and, and business. And it's incumbent upon all of us to do whatever we can to be vaccinated. Murray and Malton called to say we already have proof of vaccination in Ontario. Justin Trudeau is coming out with a vaccine passport. Doug Ford has already said that uh, if if he wants to ask an employee to show uh, proof of vaccination, you can use that. So I don't see a problem. I see Doug Ford trying to save money on this. Jody phoned with her opinion on whether vaccines should be mandated for healthcare workers. It has to become mandatory for everyone to be vaccinated. If we're dealing with a deadly disease and a person doesn't want to take advantage of a vaccine that could save their life, that's their business. But we're not dealing with a deadly disease. We're dealing with a contagious deadly disease. People talk about their freedoms. We have freedoms, but we're not free to hurt other people. And they are hurting other people by not being vaccinated. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Karen in Toronto, who phoned about her story of international travel and the associated costs. I just got back from Florida on Sunday. It was quite a nightmare, and I I wouldn't do it again. Uh, Before we went, we were told we had to have a PCR test. That was before we could get on the plane. And uh, that was $150. And when we got off the plane, we just got off the plane and, and walked out. There was nobody checking anything. <laughs> and, and then coming back, we had to get, again, before we could get on the plane, another PCR test. An antigen test wasn't good enough. So we found another lab to do the test. And that was $180 U.S. The COVID test cost more than the flight. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.